0: You know, I'd love to know how they know it's reasonable. How would the conservative media campaign, why would they do this to campaign to pass legislation if they haven't seen the big print, the medium-sized print, and the fine print? Why? And we get this from Newsmax. Newsmax, it remains to be seen whether the border policy changes, which have been negotiated in private with top White House officials, would be enough to satisfy most Republican senators. But... Here's the paragraph, right? But the bipartisan group is trending on one of the most explosive issues in American politics, and the legislation faces heavy skepticism from the wings of both political parties, including Donald Trump, the Republican presidential frontrunner, and House Speaker Mike Johnson, an arch-conservative, has shown little willingness to compromise on border policy. Well, I have the border policy fixed. I have the solution to the border policy. It is three-pronged. Item number one, we close the border. Item number two, we round up all the illegal immigrants and we take them down the length of Central America on a very nice cruise ship with all the amenities and everything else, and then we set them off down at the bottom of the Mexican southern border. No matter where they're from. No matter where they're from. We round up the Armenians. We round up the Middle Eastern people, the Chinese, the, 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 the Europeans, the, all of the Hispanics, all of them that are here illegally, we give them a boat ride. Item number three. Then we think about maybe reforming the whole naturalization process, which is sort of long. But we do not do that until we come to a point zero. We do not do that till we come to a point zero and we have full control of the border. Anything other than that is a compromise. So Mike Johnson, who, you know, he's not an arch Anything. And I don't understand why we keep bringing up Donald Trump, because Donald Trump was a president from 2016 to 2021, from 2017 to 2021, excuse me. And he hasn't been the president since then. So what he has to say about it right now has, is, is, is a non sequitur, it's a campaign thing. He's not in charge of policy right now, so it doesn't matter what he's against. Now, the main problem to passing this unknown, supposedly reasonable piece of legislation is arch-conservative Mike Johnson. None of the radical Democrats who want an open border and who support Joe Biden's refusal to enforce the law are the problem. It's the arch-conservatives that are the problem because they oppose. Then we get the entire world understands what's at stake here in the Senate in the coming weeks, McConnell said in a Senate floor speech. It's a goal shared with President Joe Biden, who's requesting one hundred ten billion dollars from Congress to provide wartime aid for Ukraine and Israel, support allies in the Asian Pacific and overhaul the U.S. immigration system. However, the emergency funding package has been delayed months in Congress after Republicans insisted that border policy changes be also included in the package. President Biden has also made it clear he's willing to work with Republicans in a big way, in a big way, on border security. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said, all of us on the Democratic side are serious about getting something done. I wonder if he still feels that way since he and his daughter were having dinner the other day and the pro-Hamas people were protesting him and his daughter while they were having lunch or dinner or whatever. Now notice that Biden, who created the massive chaos at the border who decided to refuse to enforce existing law has been working really hard to solve the problem schumer says that biden the democrats have been serious about getting the border secure which is a bunch of nonsensical malarkey house passed an immigration bill a long time ago and schumer just sits on it why didn't newsmax say this Why didn't they say that? Alejandro Mayorkas, Kamala Harris, KGP, the others, they repeatedly lied that the border is secure for years. And then suddenly the other day, Biden, a congenital liar, said he's been saying the border hasn't been secure for a decade, which that means he either forgot or he's just lying, which is probably a combination of the both. And we get this from The Hill. President Joe Biden said the southern border hasn't been secure for the last 10 years. A response he gave before addressing a bipartisan group of mayors at the White House on Friday. When asked by uh, Fox News White House correspondent Jackie Heinrich if the U.S. border was secure, Biden said, no, it's not. So, for me, it's really pathetic that Newsmax is supporting legislation it hasn't seen And then without even knowing the details of it, they're blaming Republicans for any opposition and they act like the Democrats are the great solutions. So, which leads me to the next thing. Either Newsmax knows something that I don't know or you don't know or they don't know or they are absolutely just uh, in on this or they're ignorant of what's going on. And in either case, it doesn't matter. Because, once again, this is a news organization that's taking on an editorial role instead of a news role. Do you want to know what news is like? Here's what news would be like. So, here's some news. So, like, here in Greenville, if I was if, if I was on the crack WORD news reporting team, if I was right up there with with, with Lee and, and uh, Roger and all these other people, I'd be out there and my news would be like, Today in Greenville, a water line broke and it flooded the street. I would not get out there and say, The water line broke because... Of racism. You know. I would just tell you what happened and I'd tell you where it happened, and then I'd be like, and this is News Talk ninety eight nine W. That that's how you report the news. Getting out there and reporting the news with anything other than just the simple Joe Friday facts is editorializing. And that's what Newsmax is doing. And there's nothing wrong with being an editorial entity, but put it out there as being an editorial entity and put it out there as having a bias. And I'll tell you right now, yes, I have a bias. Everything has a bias. There is nothing that has no bias out there, except maybe Khoai Chang came when he was on Kung Fu. So, um, <laughs> and I may be stretching it there, because that was John Carradine. Um, David Carradine, excuse me, not John. So, um, having said all of that, um, when you when you go off into this editorial Plateau, You're giving up any pretense at being objective. You're subjective now. And that's fine, too. Everybody else except for Newsmax and some other people claim they are absolutely objective when they're not. And they they say it all the time. MSNBC, they're out there right now going, well, we would play the president's, uh, the ex-president's victory speech over Nikki Haley where he severely trounced her. And she's, she's now giving in to total and complete delusion. But... We cannot let him say things that are not true. Now, newsmax on the other hand, they'll get out there and look at you and wink at you and say, listen, where are the new, I don't even know what their, what, what is their tagline? I don't even watch them. This is the thing about not watching TV. That means you don't watch any of it. So I don't even watch them. And this way, you know, I, I, when I see some of the stuff they're doing, I'm like, really? But the reason I don't is because for me, I've thought about these things. I, I look at these things. I, I do a little critical thinking, apply it to what's going on, and I make up my own mind. I don't need somebody to get on TV with a nice jacket and a nice tie and tell me what I need to think. That's that's what it is. That's all it is. I expect everybody listening to me right now to check every single thing I say. I'm not the all-master being of time, space, and dimension. I just get out there and I look at a few things, I corroborate them. And if I think it's real, I get out there and I talk about it. And if I don't think it's real, I don't. And when I don't know enough about it, I don't say nothing until I find something out. And even then, sometimes I'm wrong. That, the guys on TV news, though, they are 100% right. Don't worry about your opinion. If we want your stupid opinion, we'll tell you what it is. (laughs) And speaking of that, we're going to go into the Army. We're going to talk about the Army and what's going on in the Army today because the Army is uh, reaping that which they have sown. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. All right. Be careful what you wish for sometimes, you DEI diversity hire punks, even those of you in the military, because sometimes you're going to get it. The GS Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. Caucasians have quit joining the U.S. military in the last five years, and the Army leadership and Capitol Hill are concerned, even... And, uh, you know, the military historically has made up, it has pretty much reflected society percentage-wise, right? So that means that Caucasians have made up the bulk of the force, while also taking most of the casualties. And we get this from the 2005 LA Times. The majority of soldiers and Marines killed or wounded in Iraq and Afghanistan were young, white, enlisted personnel from active duty units. The demographic study involved 1,841 service personnel who were killed, 12,658 who were wounded. Whites, who constitute 67% of the active duty and reserve forces, accounted for 71% of the fatalities. Pretty, pretty close. African Americans, 17% of the force overall, 9% of the fatalities. Hispanics are 9% of the force and were 10% of the fatalities. Sort of interesting the way that spreads out, but, you know, pretty, pretty spot on. And since 2005, there's not a lot of indication that those numbers have changed in any meaningful way except that the Army's recruiting of white soldiers has dropped significantly in the last half decade and a decline that accounts for much of the service's historic recruitment slump that has become the subject of increasing concern for the Army leadership. Now, in normal moments, the shift in demographics would mean nothing if they meet their goal. So the Army had a goal in 2023 of recruiting 65,000 new soldiers. And if they'd gotten 66,000 new soldiers, nobody would be doing that. Nobody would be looking at this at all because it would just be one of those little glitches that occurs from time to time, because it does. But, um, you know, they had a shortfall of 10,000 recruits in 2023. Now, most of the Army's recruits enlisted and officer, come from the Midwest and the South. And many of them are from a historically military family. And once you lose them, well, the military ends up where it is now, which is dangerously short of qualified personnel. In 2018, 44,000 new recruits were uh, categorized by the service as Caucasian. That number has fallen to 25,070 in 2023. And there was a 6% dip from 2022 to 23, which was the most significant drop. And no other demographic group has seen such a precipitous decline. So, the, uh, and, and the reason for that is DEI and the pushing the W E R T Y plus agenda. Now, internally, some Army planners are alarmed over the data trends. But they see it as a minefield to navigate given increasing partisan attacks against the military for its efforts to recruit and support a diverse force according to interviews with several service officials. Now, as I look at this, this looks like it could have been written by Newsmax to be quite honest with you. Because what they're doing is they're looking at everything but what has actually caused this. Now, I don't care if the military wants to go DEI. Okay? In in the context of the way I live today, Uh, every time the left, and if they're being run by leftists and they're being run as a leftist organization, yes, of course, I want them to go DEI. I want them to get soft and compliant and complacent and just completely non-combat ready. That's exactly what I want, yes. And an indication that that's what's happening is that military.com, who was actually looking at this, the Army will not share the details of the data with military.com, which tells me they know. They know. That's a good point on the text line. That's incredible to think the military lost enlistment during a terrible economy. That's true. In a lot of cases, a lot of young people will look to the military in a terrible economy because it is a steady job. Now, one Army official told Military.com, what we're seeing is a reflection of society. What we know less of is is what is driving these things. There's no widely accepted cause. Well, it's because of the Democrat, Socialist, Communist weasel language that they're employing with some of this stuff. That's the way they're explaining it. But there are obvious causes, and the Army's not going to accept them, apparently. Or they're not going to admit to them. And this is nothing new. I mean, uh, and on the text line, I see a text in that reference. When uh, we had equal opportunity NCOs in uh, in the military, when I was in the military in the eighties, it's just that we did not identify ourselves as that, because it, we had our differences in garrison, but in combat, it would they would have gone out the window. And I don't know if that's the case nowadays, because nowadays, uh, who's joining the military that? Is going to get out there and go. Tell me where to go, sir. And I'm going. I'm headed that way. Three bags full, sir. Who's doing that? Now, what they're doing is they're part, they're pointing out to partisan attacks from conservative lawmakers and media, and they have an overwhelmingly white audience. That's not true. That's not true. That's getting out there and saying Black America is not engaged or Hispanic America is not engaged. The Hispanics that have become naturalized citizens. Those guys are more patriotic than I am. Black America is waking up to the whole nonsensical scam that's been played against them, and they're mad. And they're looking at things with a whole different light. So getting out there and saying that the reason that this is happening is because of the white audience of the uh, conservative media, which, how big is that, really? Even with the, with the ones that we think of as conservative, how big of an audience is that? And how much conservative media is there besides talk radio? Now, the military has been used in a lot of ways, and they, they've been used just like the universities have been used. The people that join the military that enlist in the military, those guys are young people too. So instead of them being in, uh, you know, USC, they're in the 101st Airborne Division. And once again, in this setup they can also once again be indoctrinated the difference is where a lot of kids are being you know a lot of parents are paying for kids to go to school to be indoctrinated a lot of other people have decided i'm just not going to go which that's interesting because you would think the more educated people would sit there and say well i'm not going to become a a, you know i'm not going to fall victim to this socialist thing one thing young people don't like is they don't like to be told what to do they do not and that whole communist socialist thing. Children, you're nothing more than a, a servant, a peasant in that system. You're not an equal citizen like you are in mine. So I find, I find a lot of this stuff very interesting as, it, as we go about it and look at it as it unfolds. And uh, it's not the older people that feel this way, that are actually in the enlistment pool, but it's the young applicants And this means that a lot of, you know, I've been hearing that young white guys are more and more conservative than they used to be. And obviously they're smart enough to realize that the current military has one enemy above all others, which is straight white men. So they're not putting themselves on a battlefield where they're taking fire from two enemies, a geopolitical foe and their own leader. And I don't blame them. Good on you, kids. Good on you. Go out there, get a job, make some money. Continue to be a free thinker. Welcome to my world. It's bigger than you think. So there's if you look really hard, you'll find a lot of signs out there that not everybody's given in to this collective group think. Now, when we come back, as it was with the, uh, the, whole, uh, the whole pretense of this year's WEF Gala, John Kerry has decided to get out there and talk about the disinformation being lobbed onto the electric vehicle industry. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Devolving. That's what they want. They want you to devolve. They want you to regress. The progressives want you to regress. The G.S. Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. The uh, Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. On the text line, my son is white, conservative, and heading out for basic training on Monday. We still need good men and women to serve in the military. Listen, if you feel the call, go. I felt the call and I went. Nobody could have talked me out of it when that happened. If you feel the call, go. That's that's what it's about. If you feel the call to serve, go. Go serve, by all means. Good luck to you. Keep your heads up. Be aware. Listen to your trainers. Maintain your code, all that other good stuff. And just understand that nowadays when you go into this, you're going in and you're dealing with things that I didn't have to deal with. Okay? That's the thing. You're dealing with something I didn't have to deal with in the 80s and the 90s. Now, John Kerry... Consistently shows how dangerous and uncaring they are, those people that think the way they do, as they push this stupid green agenda to move the world backwards. And I, like I said, if they were really worried about the carbon footprint, they'd they'd get get on Zoom. Right, they get on Zoom or they do a stream or something, right? And uh, we would we would we would undo the uh, streaming blocks and everything, and put that back up too if we were thinking of that now. He really doesn't care if people don't want to switch to your gas, from your gas powered car to an electric one, because you're going to be forced to do it anyway. Isn't that what dictators do force the people to do things against their will? Now, Kerry says that the reason that you're not making the switch, which we should all be you know tripping over ourselves to rush headlong into, is because of disinformation. He said it's been a very, very clear policy, which regrettably has been attacked by people who are engaged in high levels of disinformation. They've been trying to scare people about the range of vehicles, so there's range anxiety out there. But in addition to that, you've had some corporate pull that back because communities aren't moving fast enough to deploy some of the renewables we need. That's where he references the Hertz decision to sell some of their stuff and, uh, you know, buy some gas cars, gas-powered cars, and Ford's decision to scale back on the production of the battery-powered F-150, or as I call it, the sparkler. Is this the disinformation about what he's talking about? How about they're expensive to purchase? Not for a parasitic bureaucrat who leeches off the producers, but for those of us that don't get to do that, well, they're expensive. How about they're inefficient and the trip takes longer? That's true. Car renters specifically asked for gas vehicles after having a previous run-in with an EV. They decided to check it out because it's so cool. Wasn't very cool very early in the uh, in the journey. What about that they're dangerously and spontaneously flammable? <laughs> is that is that what he's talking about? Uh, when things like simply parking your car in the sun or going near a body of salt water or charging at home raises the risk that your vehicle's battery could explode into the inextinguishable thermal runaway. that would be a pretty big concern to me. That's happening on a smaller scale in New York with all of these electric scooters and bikes. They've had like 200 fires. I think 66 people have died because of electronic scooters and bikes. And then, how, how practical are they? Well, ask Jennifer Granholm about that. She would know. She, she tried it. How about they cost more to insure and repair? That's true. That's the reason that Hertz has decided to dump them. How about they depreciate faster in value than a gas-powered vehicle? Even Bloomberg News agrees with that. How about they don't work very well in warm or cold weather, and only a small window of temperature range for proper function, which I'm going to talk about next, after you know, in the next segment. But I mean, it's 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 ridiculous about this window. And I guess it couldn't be any of those things because those things are all true, which is the very opposite of disinformation. So, and as for the disinformation they're worried about in Davos, well, the reason people around the world are switching to electric vehicles is because they've been force-fed massive amounts of disinformation for decades by people like John Kerry, or as I call him, Jaws. They've been told that the gas-powered vehicles cause global temperatures to rise, this is called sea levels to rise, which have caused storms to worsen, and they don't present a shred of evidence to actually back that up. None of that is based on any data at all. Temperatures have fluctuated with periods of both warming and cooling, while the number of gas-powered vehicles has gone from zero to billions. And pay attention to this, you gas car-grabbing gut people so-and-so's when there's no correlation there can be no assumed causation write that down there are many natural variables that would influence a climate moving up and down up and down you know and uh you could determine a causation that way it is all a massive fraud though Kerry says he has to fly in a private jet because it's inconvenient to do otherwise and he's doing good by pushing this garbage down our throats And he doesn't care about all the truckers who make a living driving a very clean, burning vehicle and all the other little people who rely on their very clean, burning vehicles to survive because forcing a switch to unaffordable, unreliable electric vehicles is also massively inconvenient, John. Jaws. I'm sorry. Jaws. He doesn't care about the cost burden on the poor and the middle class. We'll just have to suffer and suck it up. But I'm ready to deal. Listen. If if the art of politics is the art of compromise, I'm ready to deal, Jaws. I'll make a deal with you. If you'll give up all of your mansions, your yacht, your jet, your gas-powered vehicles, and all the other products derived from crude oil that you use, including rubber tires, I'll give up my three gas-powered cars, my gas furnace, my gas water heaters, my gas grill, my gas lawnmower, and my gas-powered, uh, what, what is it? It's a, it uh, I've got one of those things, that trim hedge trimmer. But, you know, they have gas-powered, right now they have gas-powered snowblowers in Illinois, which still are getting used despite the warnings of all those snowless winters that were brought about by the global warming. And then I will drive a vehicle powered by the flammable pollutant lithium while you fly, fly in a private jet powered by lithium. And I'm sure that I won't have to switch. These people that are pushing this are the modern-day equivalent of the Luddites. They see efficient gas combustion engines, and they want to destroy them. And they want you to use something that is inefficient. They see countries where the quality of life is greatly improved due to to their use of coal and oil and natural gas, and they want to take that all away. And they see the undeveloped are underdeveloped countries where people starve and die young and they seek to keep them poor and underdeveloped by telling them not to use the natural resources with which the earth has been blessed. All of these people that push this agenda are very dangerous and they absolutely are going to have to be stopped. Write that down. When we get back, we're going to talk about this very narrow window where your electric vehicle will work all the time, every time, and be completely dependable as long as it falls in this small list of criteria. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Let's talk about the quirks of electric vehicles, okay, because they have them, right? Now, if you're fleeing a natural disaster like, say, a hurricane out of Florida, for example, the nature of the design might impede efficient and safe evacuation, or they might just explode because exposure to salt water can link the positive and negative battery terminals, which causes a short circuit, which then causes a thermal runaway. And if they're just sitting there, too, there's still a heightened risk of spontaneous explosion with a long-burning, extra-hot, inextinguishable fire. They don't really work in cold weather and now, according to new data, excessive heat can greatly diminish electric vehicle range too. So Recurrent, an auto company based in Seattle, has a mission to accelerate the overall adoption of EVs and they've decided to try to provide transparency and confidence in pre-owned EV purchases. So, this past Friday, they released a research report titled, Deep Dive, Lithium-Ion Batteries, and Heat. And it has a very absurd graphic built into it, although I'm sure it wasn't meant to be that way, that showed the optimal temperature range to avoid issues. The optimal temperature range for your, your electronic vehicle is between 59 and 86 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm trying, is there anywhere on the planet where that is always the average temperature between 59 and 86? Um, here in the South, we we have those days where we, we just went through a cold snap. And that's what it is. Most times it's a snap. It's not a long, drawn out, you know, hand wringing. It's just a snap of the finger, pop, cold snap. Um, So, uh, I, I you know, and then we also have tendencies to get up in the 90s and the 100s. And once you get outside the 59 to 86 degree field, there's either going to be slow reactions or accelerated side reactions, like those I was talking about earlier. From the report itself, given the risks of excess heat in a battery, thermal management systems are essential to maintain safe operating temperatures. If the battery overheats, it can lead to safety hazards, reduced battery performance, and accelerated degradation of the battery components. We've known this for a long time. I mean, everybody has a mobile phone with a lithium ion battery, right? We've known that they have tendencies to uh you know, cold affects batteries bad. Heat affects batteries bad. And uh here's the other thing. While they're out there telling us the earth is boiling <laughs> where yeah, and you know, uh, that we're 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 headed to an environmental disaster of un of, of biblical nature. I'm pretty sure that's not going to fall within the 59 to 86 degree window to optimally run my electric vehicle. So whether it's warming or cooling or boiling or freezing or any of the other kind of temperature changes, at the same time while all this is happening, and we know these won't work in these things. We're just going to be sitting there going, holding the plug, looking around like idiots. Uh, we're supposed to adopt these as quickly as possible to avoid the point of no return. And, And here's a good, on the text line, the asphalt road during the summer can get up to 160 degrees. That is referred to as reflective heat. Oh, that's aimed right at the battery too. Then we also get this. Even when you're not driving your electric car, heat can have a significant impact on the battery. To decrease the negative effects of heat on EV batteries at rest, it is ideal to park in shaded areas or garages whenever it's especially hot or sunny. So not only that, we need to live in a 59 to 86 degree window of temperature place where it's never too sunny. Now, my Ford F-150 which runs off of glorious gasoline. I can park that anywhere. The other way it will spontaneously combust would be if I spontaneously set it on fire with well, I don't know some matches. And uh, why with one of these vehicles, which all these things are just tools to make my life easier and more manageable right why is it that I have to have one set of tools that are so frou frou that I have to give them special care now let's talk you know let's talk let's talk uh two two climates you know right now in Las Vegas it's freezing out in Vegas right now so everybody driving an electric car in Vegas if they're shot show for example they wouldn't be getting around right now because well they'd be getting around but they just wouldn't be getting very far then if you lived in Arizona Right? Um, you have cold nights and cold mornings, but you don't have cold day in day out, sunset to sunrise, right? You just don't. You have variations in temperature, which that would also, I would think if it's really cold at night and it gets really hot during the day, that just absolutely saps these things of any charge whatsoever. So the question becomes, where in the world, do we see these optimal temperature ranges to where an electric vehicle would actually make sense? If you live in that area, if you live in that area, by all means, buy one of those cars because they're cool. They're smart. They're, 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 they're fancy. But if, if you can afford it, right? But if you don't, what's the point? What's the point of this? Interestingly enough, the only thing that is really economically and uh, uh, technically advanced, the electric car, is the one that won't run (laughs) as it is set up. That's what they want with the green new agenda. So listen, I'm going to I'm going to take a I don't know, a 22 hour break. I'll be back here. I'll be back here with you. This is News Talk 98.9 W.O.R.D. The voice of the Carolinas.